Please pray with me. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of it for the sake of our good and your glory. Continue to transform us, we ask. Encourage us, build us up, that we may live in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For many years, Max Dupree was the CEO of an innovative Fortune 500 company called Herman Miller. Dupree has written a number of classic books on leadership and anchored the board of Fuller Seminary for nearly 40 years. And when Max speaks on leadership, he is often asked the question about what is the most difficult thing for him personally to work on. And his answer historically has always been the same. It's the interception of entropy, he says. Entropy is a term from physics that has something to do with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. It speaks to the fact that the universe is winding down in a physical sense. It's the idea that everything that's left to itself has the tendency to deteriorate. The energy is expended and things just start to get slower. Entropy is not only one of the greatest enemies of the universe, Max says, it's one of the greatest enemies of the human spirit. A person becomes apathetic or complacent or settles for the path of least resistance in some area of life. Dreams die, hopes fade, and then a terrible thing happens. A person learns that they can live with mediocrity. Entropy is one of the great enemies of the human spirit. So the writers of the book of Proverbs have a lot to say about it. One thing that they say is that the wise person is always on the lookout for the early signs of entropy setting in. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 shows a picture of someone who has livestock and how they need to monitor this condition. Though the words speak of livestock, they're true in a lot of other areas of life. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Every day, we need to be on the lookout for entropy. Though things may have been good yesterday, and maybe they're okay today, that doesn't mean that they will be so forever. Some of us struggle with this deterioration, this slowing down, this lack of energy, this entropy in our spiritual lives or our spiritual desires. Perhaps you feel like things are winding down. Apathy has set in. Maybe you feel spiritually stagnant. Maybe you feel spiritually bored. What should you do when you sense that type of entropy? Well, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul 
is writing about a number of the big themes in life and how they relate to our relationship with God. He is writing about things like purpose and joy and the things of the greatest value and worth. And here in Philippians chapter 3, he is expressing with all the passion that he can muster the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And he uses a little phrase to describe his approach to life. He says, the one thing I do, the one thing, in the midst of all of this, there's one thing, not four things, not uh, some sort of complicated formula that you have to engage in. My life is driven by this one thing that I do. And if you adapt this one thing, Christian, you will never experience spiritual entropy again. And so let's read about it. Our text for today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. But I'm going to move back just a little bit to verse 10 as we start to read. Follow with me. This is what Paul says. He writes, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything that you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Are you happy with where you are spiritually? The Apostle Paul wasn't. (laughs) He had an unmet spiritual desire, and it wasn't just general spiritual desire, it was very specific. He wanted to know. Jesus Christ better than he knew him at that point. And we might think that if anyone actually knew Jesus, it was him. He had seen him face to face. He had been radically converted on the road to Damascus. He had planted churches in his name. He had suffered for the gospel. He had experienced overwhelming spiritual power. If anybody knew Christ, it should have been this guy. And yet he was not satisfied. There was still this unmet spiritual desire. He says it, verses 12 to 13, not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I do not consider that I've made it my own yet. He's clear. He has not obtained it. The it he is referring to is from the previous verses. The goal 
of everything for this apostle is to know Christ. He doesn't fully know him yet. And he's not perfect. And so with military language, he wants to seize Christ because Christ has seized him. Now, some of Paul's opponents are claiming that they are indeed perfect, that they have accessed the power and the grace of heaven right now on earth. And that's not a far-fetched false belief today. In fact, there are many, even in America, who believe that all of the benefits of heaven are accessible to you today. The word faith movement and the health and wealth gospel movement or prosperity gospel movement have what we call an over-realized understanding of the end times in which they claim that all of the power, all of the blessings of heaven are available to you right now here on earth today. The word faith people believe that all you need to do is speak a word and call down power from heaven. That we could name the prosperity preacher after preacher who believe that health and wealth of heaven are yours today because of your knowledge of Jesus. And yet Paul says that even he does not have it yet. I've not yet obtained it. I'm not yet perfect. That is spiritual dissatisfaction. And friends, spiritual dissatisfaction is a healthy place to be. In fact, it's a great place to be. If you are spiritually discontent, if you want more, then consider yourself to be blessed. Paul's in this place and he highlights what to do when you're in this place. If you're spiritually discontent, he highlights what you should do if you're in this place. And he says that there is one thing, (laughs) the one thing I do. Now, there are a lot of things you could do, but Paul highlights the one thing You must do. And I love that laser focus. This is the thing to do if you want to grow spiritually. Paul's approach to life is one that looks at the past, it looks toward the future, and it has an action in the present. What is the one thing? The one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, that's the past, and straining toward what lies ahead, that's the future. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. That's the present. And so let's consider them. Looking to the past, looking to the future, but acting in the present, let's consider each one. Paul says the past, and and we need to spend a little bit of time here, forgetting what lies behind. Being held up by the past is a very common stumbling block for many people spiritually. But you need to know that if you are fixated on the past, if you are fixated on what has happened back there, 
it will become a barrier to your spiritual growth moving forward. Focusing on what lies behind usually comes in, I think, three or four different forms. And any of these three will cause stagnation. They will carry with them a different types of pain points, however. The most common way to focus on what lies behind instead of forgetting, the most common is to rest on past accomplishments. Some of us have gone through periods of substantial growth in our lives. The Lord has done a wonderful thing in us and we've served him with vigor. We serve to meet a need of those around us. And then somewhere along the way, we felt like that type of service was beneath us. We began to rest in our past accomplishment. We became like the musician who in his or her creative season wrote a song for the ages. And as a result, they became an instant success. But then they rested on their accomplishment. They didn't work hard. And over time, that musician became known as the one-hit wonder. You've seen this again and again with professional athletes, right? They work hard during the rookie contract. It lasts two or three or four or five years. They make a name for themselves. They succeed. And then when the next contract comes and they get paid, then they get comfortable. And the performance goes down. But not because of any physical deficiency. Rather, they rest on their past accomplishments. Sometimes I'll meet somebody who talks about the ways that they used to pursue the Lord. I used to read my Bible. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to pray daily. I used to be part of a growth group. But now they're stagnant. They're stalled. Entropy setting in. And it's because they're resting on past accomplishments. But we need to forget what lies behind Paul says, if you want to move forward. You know, another way that we sometimes need to forget what lies behind has to do with the mistakes that we've made in the past. Some of us get stuck in past guilt. We've made mistakes. And I'm not saying we shouldn't learn from them. We should definitely learn from them. But we can't let past sins hold us from future growth. Sometimes the shadow of the past just looms so heavily over the present. I think of the story of Willie Carson, the famous British jockey who was racing one day at Pontefract and was happily leading on the rail. A furlong and a half from home, he thought that he heard something at his back. And glancing around the side of the horse, he saw the shadow of a horse coming up behind. Determined that he should not be beaten, he spurred on the horse and was actually first to the finish line. He looked around again and saw that the nearest horse was 15 lengths behind. He had been racing his own shadow for the last quarter of the race. Friends, sometimes we're haunted by the memory of a mistake 
the regret of the past, an egregious sin that we've committed against God or against someone else. And there is a shadow that's looming over us and that shadow actually prevents us from going forward in the way that we should. But here's the thing. I have sinned. You have sinned. Maybe you've committed terrible sins. Terrible toward God, terrible toward other people. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus paid for those sins, for those who would reach out and ask for forgiveness. He would not only forgive them of their sins, but then he would remove them as far as the east is from the west. He is willing to forgive you. And that means that you no longer need to allow the shadow of the past to loom large over the present. Forget what lies behind. You know, there's a third way that people often focus on what lies behind instead of forgetting. And that is by allowing themselves to be paralyzed by past hurts. I've met countless people over the years who won't get involved in a church family because at one point they were hurt. They will sit on the sideline in activities that will help them to know Christ more because they don't want to do it with other people. They were bitten once and now they're timid. Relational hurts are real and incredibly damaging, especially in the church. And over the years, you have met people. Maybe you are one who has been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by a bad experience in a previous church. Maybe you've been hurt by the leaders who were serving over you who are acting sinfully. Maybe you were hurt by other church members. Because the fact of the matter is this. You guys are a bunch of sinners. So am I. The church is full of sinners. I love it when somebody says to me, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And my answer is, yep. Absolutely. And you've heard the old saying, right? If you find the perfect church, don't go there because it won't be perfect anymore once you join. <laughs> well, I don't want to minimize hurts of the past. I really don't because they can be profound and they can shape us. But at some point, believing in the power of the gospel to heal necessarily means forgetting instead of focusing. Forgetting what lies behind instead of focusing on what lies behind. And if anyone was hurt by Christians, it was Paul. He was rejected, persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, some of it by the Jews, but some of it by critics who were other Christians. Forgetting instead of focusing. We forget what lies behind. Our growth depends on it. It not only depends on forgetting of the past, but it also points us to straining toward what lies ahead. So Paul has a vision for the past, which is really no vision at all. He forgets it. <laughs> he has a vision for the future, which is straining. 
A runner who constantly looks back in the race over his shoulders in danger of losing the race. And the language of striving toward what lies ahead is the language of an athlete. It's an athletic metaphor who's utterly focused on the finish line. Now, if you've ever played a sport, you know this reality. The goal is the key. The goal of the game, of the match, of the race. That's the key. And focus absolutely is required to get there. Paul says we must be focused on what lies ahead. The promises of God, our growth in Christ, his imminent return, our ultimate resurrection from the dead to eternity, all compel us to run this race. And he uses this imagery in the Bible in a number of different places. One of my favorites is this. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race... All of the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain the prize. I was 17 years old when I first memorized that verse. I've never forgotten it. If you run in this life, if you run, you will not lose focus. You might get tired. You may feel the pain of running, but God will supply the second wind, the runner's high, and the strive toward the goal. And here's the thing. Do you all know what one of the differences is between a Christian community, a group of people that feels stagnant versus those who feel alive? <laughs> The difference is running. Because when you find other people who are running the race, not walking, not jogging, but actually running the race of faith, there is no greater joy in the relationships that you will have on this earth than with those people. You have a shared goal. You have the same way to get there. And the Lord himself binds you together uniquely. So run. <laughs> and that leads us to the present. Paul has a vision for the past, which is no vision at all. He forgets it. He's straining toward the future. And in the present, he says this. This is the one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. And here we go. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the goal, the prize, the upward call of God? What is it? It's to gain Christ. The runner runs, the swimmer kicks toward the finish line, the Christian presses toward the goal, and Christ is the goal. Early in the chapter, Paul says that everything is counted as rubbish compared to knowing him. He wants to know him more than he knows him presently, so much so that he wants to know the power of his resurrection, that he wants to share in his sufferings, that he wants to know him completely upon the resurrection of the dead. Press toward the goal of knowing Christ... And you will receive the ultimate prize. 
That's the goal. That's the one thing. It's not a complicated formula. Strive to know him more than you know him today. But you and I both know that even though it's not a complicated formula, there are so many potential roadblocks. Friends, press toward the goal of knowing Christ and you will receive the ultimate prize. If you feel spiritually stagnant, if you feel dissatisfied, here are a couple of diagnostic questions for you. Some of us might be struggling in these areas. Are you someone who's dissatisfied, but you don't want to run? (laughs) Then you might be struggling with laziness. Are you someone who is paralyzed by the past? then maybe you are somebody who's struggling with guilt and you need to let the gospel wash over you afresh. Maybe you're someone who is ready to run, but you don't know what you're running toward. Perhaps you have the wrong goal in mind. And the goal that Paul says is very simply knowing Christ. Everything else comes out of that or perhaps you're someone who are, who's aiming at too many targets instead of the one thing I do. And that is certainly a recipe for distraction. But Paul's goal for life can be yours. Are you young and have loads of energy? Like that section right there? Be a person of one thing. Are you part of a busy family with endless responsibilities and kids' activities and a growing career? Don't forget the one thing. Do you feel old and tired? Keep going. Don't stop now. The finish line is in sight. You are almost home. Be a person of this one thing. Press toward the goal of knowing Christ and you will receive the ultimate prize. Verses 15 and 16, Paul gives us the mature outlook. Look at it with me. This is what he says. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There is a mature outlook on life and an immature one. The immature outlook is to be happy and comfortable and remain stagnant. The mature person never believes that they've spiritually arrived, that their part is done, that the race is over. The mature person has a healthy discontent because they don't yet fully know Christ. The mature one will run all the way to the finish line. You might even say they die in the race. (laughs) Paul is confident 
that if they don't believe him in this, that God will show them (laughs) that this is actually true. Their dissatisfaction will point to their need. Because life is hard. Man, life is hard. Some weeks are harder than others. Life can be confusing. There are discouragements all along the way. It can be easy to slow down, to press pause, to rest on your accomplishments, to be hindered by the past, to not look forward to the future, to be lost in the moment. And many of you heard me say this before, and I'll say it a million times more while on this earth. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What should you do when life is confusing, when you're paralyzed, when you don't know what to do? You do the next right thing. Press toward the goal of knowing Christ. That's the next right thing. And you will receive the ultimate prize. R.C. Sproul once wrote, I once read the following definition of a fanatic. A fanatic is a person who, having lost sight of his goal, redoubles his efforts to get there. The fanatic runs around frantically, getting nowhere. He's the basketball player without a basket, a tennis player without a net, a golfer without a green. For a Christian to make progress in learning to please God, to have a clear idea of what their, they must have a clear idea of what their goal is in life. Jesus states it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Paul states it this way, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Don't be a fanatic without a goal. Make knowing Christ, really knowing him, your goal. But here's the thing. There are no shortcuts. There are no spiritual quick fixes When you have someone as infinitely complex and valuable and interesting and powerful and loving as the eternal son of God, the Lord Jesus, you could spend the rest of your life getting to know him. Marathon is one of the most strenuous athletic events in sport. The Boston Marathon attracts some of the best runners in the world and the winner is automatically placed among the greatest athletes of their time. A few years ago, Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line. She had the laurel wreath placed on her head in a blaze of lights and cheering. She was completely unknown in the world of running, an incredible feat. Her first race of victory in the prestigious Boston Marathon. And then someone noticed her legs, loose flesh and cellulite. Questions were asked. No one had actually seen her along the 26.2 mile course. And the truth came out. 
she jumped into the race and during the last mile. And there was an immediate widespread interest in Rosie because why would she do that when it was certain that she would be found out? Athletic performance can't be faked. But she never admitted her fraud. She repeatedly said that she would run another marathon to validate her ability. But somehow, she never did. People interviewed her, searching for a clue to her personality. She was analyzed as a sociopath. She lied convincingly and naturally with no sense of conscience, no sense of reality in terms of right and wrong, acceptable or unacceptable behavior. And in reading about Rosie, we can think of all the people that we know who want to get in on the finish, but who cleverly arrange not to run the race. They appear, sometimes at spiritual activities or maybe at church, wreathed in smiles, entering into the celebration, but there's no personal life that leads up to it or out from it. They're plausible and convincing in short doses, but in the end, they do not run the race. Believing through the tough times, praying the lonely, angry, hurt hours. The proper name for such a person is not a sociopath, it's a religiopath. But let it not be said of you. <laughs> because there is one thing you can do. In fact, one thing you must do. Press toward the goal of knowing Christ. And if you do that, you will receive the ultimate prize. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we confess our moments or even seasons of apathy. God, we desire to have a vibrant relationship with you through your son. Give us an increased focus on knowing him, on understanding who he is, what he's done, what he's said, of marveling in wonder and awe at the greatness of his work and rejoicing in the forgiveness of sins. God, help us to forget the past that holds us back. Lord, give us a vision for the future and help us to press forward today. We need your help in it by the power of the Spirit. You promised to do it, and we claim that promise even now. In Jesus' name, amen.